More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Shield Time sees entrepreneurship as a sustainable and transformational means of social change on a day-to-day basis. According to Shield, success is the product of a supportive community. To reflect this, Shield founded the venture capital company Amplo, which has a hand in Andela, Robinhood, and Two Chairs. Shield, who also serves as Amplo's CEO, helps entrepreneurs around the world build companies that make a difference, with the realization that entrepreneurship knows no bounds. We sat down with Shield Tai to talk about the immigrant dream of his parents, how this dream translated to a career in venture capital investment, and why we identify so strongly with immigrant entrepreneurs. Enjoy this episode. Can we start out by you just telling us a little bit, Sheila, about yourself? Like, I would love to understand more about, like, you know, your origins and how you ended up doing what you're doing. Yeah, so I feel like it's impossible to tell my story without telling the story of my parents. Both of my parents are from North India, and they came to America to achieve their American dream. Mm-hmm. My mom applied to Washington University in St. Louis. My dad went to Ohio State. And the reason both of them were able to go to the schools that they were able to go to was largely because they had a lot of help, a lot of love, a lot of support but really because they were willing to give it all up and start afresh in in this new country. Mm -hmm. And they met in the U.S., got married. I was born in California, moved around a lot as a kid. You know, for our parents, given they moved 10,000 miles plus from India to the U.S., every time Mm -hmm. they would have another opportunity in the U.S., they would just pack up their bags and go. So throughout my childhood, I was always a new kid which was tough at the time, Mm. but in retrospect, probably the best thing they could have done for me because it gave me the ability to adapt quickly and to make friends quickly because I had to. You know, my parents, they did not come from wealth. In fact, quite the opposite. You know, they came from Mm. very modest families in India. And throughout our childhood, they made sure that we realized that we had been given so much more than they ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, just the fact that we were born in America, the fact that their careers were doing well, we had been given mm-hmm. so much more than they ever had. Mm-hmm. And we could either use that for our own personal gain, or we could use that for mm-hmm. the betterment of other people, right? Folks yeah. like them, giving folks like them a shot. And so I eventually found my way to to Stanford. And at Stanford, I got really excited about this thing called entrepreneurship, (laughs) where I realized that some of the best innovation in the world is done through entrepreneurship, but -hmm. also some of the best social impact is done through entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. It's arguably one of the most sustainable and transformational means of social change. Mm -hmm. And I heard the story of a company called Celtel, which brought the mobile phone to Africa, completely transformed society. Mm -hmm. But it was also a company that completely transformed how people live. If you were a woman in Lagos, Nigeria, 
before Celtel, you had the Elf Realm. After Celtel, you could pick up the phone when you were having a baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that simple innovation transformed a continent. And as I studied that story, I realized that in that case and many others like it, there was an amazing entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but there were also some really supportive venture capitalists and, and angel investors. Mm-hmm. And to me, given capitalism is one of the best means of social change, to me, it felt like the best way to honor what my parents had set out to instill in us, mm-hmm. which was if we want to create impact at scale, this might be one of the best paths for me. And so here I am. <laughs> well, tell us more about the here I am part. Tell us more about you know the company that you've built and what it is that your vision is behind it. Yeah, so I first worked at a company that was later bought by Google. And then I entered the venture capital world and I started my own firm called Amplo uh, after working at a few others. And you know, at Amplo, we believe that the biggest companies in the world are founded by entrepreneurs, not motivated by money. I believe if you're motivated by money, you tend to not make any. Mm-hmm. But if you're motivated by solving a big problem, that's how you get through the hard times. That's how you say no to acquisition offers. That's how you recruit mm-hmm. people in a tough market. And that's how you ultimately build something really meaningful. We also believe that great entrepreneurship can come from anywhere. And so we are very open to investing and building companies globally. Ample really exemplifies what is possible today, which would never have been possible in, say, your parents' generation, right? Like to come bring it back to your father and mother who have had to leave their country to uh, find the kind of opportunities and find the kind of education that they wanted. And what you're doing today and what, what many of our generation get to benefit from today is this incredible reach of both technology and this mobility of capital that almost makes it feel like a lot of that type of immigration might not be necessary anymore in the future. So unless it's motivated by, you know, climate change or actual political unrest. So do you think that if uh, at the time that kind of like technology and like, you know, capital mobility have been there, do you think your parents would have left in the first place? It's a great question. So I think today, more and more opportunity is able to be done virtually, mm-hmm. largely because of technology. I have a whole company built around that called Andela, where we believe that remote development is the future and the company trains and finds the highest quality engineering talent in Africa mm-hmm. and places them as remote developers globally. But the key is they're remote. They're staying in Nigeria, they're staying in Kenya, they're staying in Rwanda, etc. I think opportunity sets are better than they were. That being said, we're seeing extraordinary amounts of immigration today, globally. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right? Exactly. And I think a lot of it is still driven by job prospects. I think there is something to be said for the amount of open jobs in, say, the United States mm-hmm. or in parts of Europe, although not really, um, a lot of Asia. Right. So I think even though jobs are able to be done more remotely, mm. that doesn't mean every job can be done remotely, but it also doesn't yeah. necessarily correlate to the amount of open jobs in a particular country. And obviously, we're seeing a lot of immigration due to security reasons or uh, religious reasons. So I don't know if immigration is going to decrease anytime soon. 
what are the big shifts that you're seeing in venture capitalism? But because I think that what Amplo is doing is actually not something that I have seen that often yet. I might be totally wrong, but I think it's quite interesting that you guys have taken that avenue. And I was wondering whether you think you're part of a bigger movement or are you pioneering this? I think we are at the beginning of this movement. And I mean, historically with venture capital, what would happen is people would only want to invest in companies that were within a 10-minute drive from where they lived. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There were so many venture capitalists in Silicon Valley that what ended up happening is the majority of the companies that were getting funded were in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And then that same mentality stayed, but it shifted to New York Mm -hmm. and it shifted to Boston. But you know, when I started my career in venture capital in 2010, I was taught that great entrepreneurship can come from anywhere. And at the time, many of the economies were growing really rapidly, right? Mm -hmm. China was growing really quickly. India was growing very quickly. Uh, Southeast Asia, Africa was growing really quickly, but there was almost no venture capital dollars in those countries or continents. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of my early career running around to these markets. And, you know, it was thanks to my parents, because we moved around a lot as a kid, and mm-hmm. because I was able to adapt quickly, that actually helped me later in life. When mm-hmm. I was traveling to these places, I was able to adapt quickly and make friends in these places. And mm-hmm. as a result, I started to get an appreciation for what the entrepreneurship was like on the ground. And there was a lot of opportunity, right? There was a lot of opportunity and not much competition. And what ended up happening is over the next now almost 10 years, 10 years later, Now you're seeing a lot more competition and a lot more venture capital dollars Mm -hmm. flowing into these countries because people are starting to realize that there are some great companies being built. So and a few questions and a follow up with that, like, you know, VC like seems to always be sort of, at least in people's minds, it seems to be very much associated with short termism, right? Like, so, and I'd love to ask you the question in relation to what is our pursuit here is the understanding of multi-generational entrepreneurship. So like, obviously Uh, the kind building the kind of businesses that will outlast like, you know, uh, one generation. Do you think you're contributing to that kind of entrepreneurship with what you're doing? Or is it really the kind of investment that you feel is is focused on, you know, building something and it'll in the short term change hands in terms of ownership? Yeah, it's so funny you say short term, because in my industry, it's considered the the longest term asset class possible. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm trying to get my investors, by the way, many of my investors are successful families Mm -hmm. globally. And, you know, from a lot of these folks, they can invest in the hedge funds, they can invest in stocks, they can Mm -hmm. invest in a lot of different asset classes, all of which have faster liquidity than venture capital funds. Venture Mm -hmm. capital funds are 10 year funds. And that's Mm -hmm. because that's how long it takes to build an amazing company. Now, of course, the returns are greater, which is why people still want to invest in this asset class. (laughs) But to answer your question directly, I think it depends on the company. You know, I think the issue is a lot of our investors, and this is natural, but a lot of investors need liquidity. And so the Mm -hmm. natural liquidity event is either an IPO or an acquisition. Mm -hmm. But what I'm starting to find is that many of our companies, if and when they go public, they want to continue building for another 20, 30, 50 years. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at Amazon or Google, most of their 
public market value was realized when they were already public. Mm-hmm. So in theory, they could have already had a liquidity event for their investors and shareholders. But the investors and shareholders who hung on and remained shareholders were the ones who actually got rewarded the most. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. some of my companies, and I find the companies that end up being the most valuable in our portfolio are the ones that are building with a 30 or 50 or 100 year vision, as opposed to a three, five or 10 year vision. Before you said, like, you know, when a lot of immigrant entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship out of necessity. And, but you're now investing in a lot of countries where entrepreneurship can be a necessity on the ground, like in your home country, right? Like, and I was just wondering whether you are able to establish whether the motives that lead to entrepreneurship. So whether it's by, as you said, by necessity, by pressure, or by choice, whether you've seen a significant difference in terms of success and outcomes in the companies that you've come across. If you are in a position, and this is a a blessed position, Mm -hmm. but if you are in a position to be an entrepreneur by choice, Mm -hmm. typically what that means is you're able to have more freedom to really think about the idea or the ideas that you want to build. Mm-hmm. And that deliberateness and that seeking out a problem that you're then able to solve is often what leads to larger outcomes. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you rush mm-hmm. into being an entrepreneur because you have to, you may still be successful. I mean, that's what a lot of entrepreneurship is. But without being super deliberate about it, mm-hmm you may not have the biggest outcome, but that's okay, right? I mean, I think we need to stop as society glorifying only the outcomes where the dollar signs are really big because, you know, life is not measured by how much is in our bank account. So why should we measure the quality of entrepreneurship by how much is in our bank account or how Mm -hmm. much was the, how big was the company, right? Mm -hmm. To ask you like another sort of like more, I guess, immigration motivated question. Do you consider yourself American? Like, that's actually an interesting question for me also, like, you know, second generation immigrant children. Do you have an identity crisis when it comes to this? Or are you very clearly like, you know, I'm from California. And uh, how do you how do you identify yourself culturally? Have you ever taken a clear decision? Or do you always give everyone the whole story? Uh, I identify as an American, you know, I was born Mm -hmm. here, I was brought up here. I think one of the beautiful things about America is You can look like anything and sound like anything, and you're just as American as the next person. I am of Indian origin. You know, my parents did come here from India, and so that's also a proud part of my identity. Mm -hmm. But I do think being an American, you can be white, you can be black, you can be anything in between, you can speak English well, you can not speak English at all. Uh, You could have been born here, you could have been naturalized, but you're just as American as somebody else. And yet the public discourse on immigration for you guys has been somewhat problematic in recent years. And so I was wondering, but not just in America, generally, like we feel there is there are many places where there's a lot of tension around around this uh, conversation. And I wanted to ask you, like, you know, again, just to come back to this whole shift, because we're seeing such an exponential shift in opportunities because of technology today. So the access to technology and the means that it gives people to provide for themselves, provide for their families, wherever they are, is really, really significant. But that might not be the only reason or the only factor that influences immigration, because as you just pointed out, we've never probably seen this much movement ever in the world as we do at present time in history. So I was just wondering if, if you'd ever thought about like, what is the future 
of immigration look like? What do you think these patterns are going to result in? What are we going to see? And also, how will this impact entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial opportunities and, and you know, ultimately your business as well? Yeah, you're right that there has been political backlash against immigration in a lot of countries. And I think it's really unfortunate. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, at its core, every single person in America is an immigrant mm-hmm. unless they were Native Americans, which I can guarantee you the people who are saying these things were not Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is it's a short term thing. It's mm-hmm. a temporary phenomenon driven by radical success that mm-hmm. has happened in many of these economies, but that has left out folks who were used to be very successful. Mm-hmm. And those folks that are being left out are looking for somebody to blame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the leadership in various countries, and it's not just America, but a lot of countries have decided to pick on immigrants. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they're an easy target. They don't vote yeah. as much. And mm-hmm. so I hope it's a short-term phenomenon. I think what countries will realize is by excluding immigrants, all we do is we make ourselves less competitive, not more competitive. And we're handing other countries a gift, which is to give them, let them accept the most successful and uh, creative minds in the world at that time. So Mm -hmm. I do hope it changes. Thank you so much, Sheil. Honestly, wonderful conversation. Such an interesting perspective to get on this subject as well from the VC and from an entrepreneur uh, yourself and a child of immigrants yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes. 